Lance, and this is Ex-Mormons Redeemed. I'm sorry to say that Grace isn't with us today. I'm, uh, this is going to be a solo act, a one-man show, and I apologize because she brings a quality that uh, I'll never duplicate. But anyway, uh, we're going to jump on into this and share something that I think you will find very, very interesting. For those of you that don't know, I used to be an Air Force flyer on large cargo airplanes. My time in the air is measured in thousands of hours. I have, I have so much time looking down from 35, 37, 39,000 feet and gazing at the world. And so I was really surprised by what happened just a week ago. I was called out of town, had to had to go off on a little bit of business, take care of some things, and I haven't flown since I was saved five years ago. And so I, I boarded an airplane in Pocatello, Idaho, and, and it took off and climbed up through a, a layer of low clouds, and when it broke through on, on the top, I was amazed. There was a sea of brilliant white clouds. As far as I could see, it was just beautiful and bright and white and and amazing and and yet when i looked down there were enough holes that i could look through the holes and and wonder at rich farmlands and and a few minutes later the beauty of rugged mountains and considering all the time that i've been in an aircraft my response actually <laughs> well i was really surprised i couldn't stop looking I, I just couldn't stop looking. I think I sat there with my face pressed against the glass. The other passengers must have looked at me and thought, first time flyer. <laughs> and yet it was incredible. I have never looked down from an aircraft as a believer in Jesus Christ before and everything was new. I was, I was like a small child on my first flight. And I just looked out the window. I said, oh, my God, look what you've done. God, you did. Oh, my gosh, God, you're, you're incredible. You're amazing. I, oh, God, I love you so much. It was, it was just incredible. As I sat there and gazed out across a little part of this world, I couldn't help but be impressed at how big God is and how tiny I am. And you know, the thing that's crazy is what I was looking at was just a small part of this world, just a little bit of this earth. And when we think about it in relation to the universe, it's pretty insignificant. You see, I'm just a speck on the earth, which is a speck. So I'm a speck on a speck, which is in the solar system, which is a speck compared to the universe. So I'm a speck on a speck in a speck and the Milky Way galaxy in a speck. I'm, we're so insignificant. And, and I was so filled with gratitude because this God that I have, that has, has reached down and saved me from the depths of hell, loves me as small and insignificant and filthy and wretched as I am. I was just overwhelmed with gratitude. Grit and Grace is our story. It is the story of rescue from Mormon chains and redemption in Christ Jesus. Check the link in the show notes below.
few days later, I was on the way home, and I was sitting on the opposite side of the aircraft, and the people that booked my flight put me against the window again. And honestly, I was I was tired. I dozed most of the way home. But when the aircraft started its final descent into Pocatello, meaning I was nearing home, I looked out the window again, and I saw some things that, f- that were familiar to me. I saw the Holt Arena at Idaho State University. I saw Pocatello unfold before me, and and then we got to the northern part of the city, and my heart fell. I saw the new Mormon temple, a white dot on a city block, and I thought, oh, oh God, don't let this evil take hold here. As I gazed down and and just just felt the absolute opposite of what I had felt just a few days before looking down out of an aircraft window. As I gazed down at the temple, I remembered a meme that I had seen on Facebook. It was something about, about President Nelson of the Mormon Church telling people that their foundation could be found in the temple. I listened to that talk today. It's something that he delivered at General Conference just a few months ago. And as I listened, I thought, oh my gosh, it would literally take me weeks to examine each point and contrast it with the Bible to show the the litany of continuous falsehoods that just spewed from his mouth. And we don't have time to do that today. So I want to take just a few moments and look at some of the key points that he made. Let's start by taking a look at something that Joseph Smith said. He said, I told the brethren that the Book of Mormon was the most correct of any book on earth and the keystone of our religion, and a man would get nearer to God by abiding by its precepts than any other book. That's a big statement to claim that the Book of Mormon is the most correct book. And then I listened to President Nelson, who said, The temple lies at the center of strengthening our faith and spiritual fortitude because the Savior and his doctrine are the very heart of the temple. Everything taught in the temple, through instruction and through the Spirit, increases our understanding of Jesus Christ. His essential ordinances bind us to him through sacred priesthood covenants. The best way to strengthen our faith in Christ, the best way to come to understand who he is, is to be in the temple. So I thought, well, wait a minute, is it the temple or or is it the Book of Mormon? And I thought about the Book of Mormon. You see, it has had from its creation... Back in 1830, I believe, right in there somewhere, it has had over 5,000 changes. 5,000 changes. And so instead of being the most correct book, some refer to it as the most corrected book. But I thought, okay, if the Mormon people can become closer to God through the Book of Mormon, and if the Mormon people can best understand who Christ is through temple attendance, there's got to be some overlapping doctrines. I started thinking about the things that we used to do in the temple when I was a temple worker, when I was an active member of the Mormon Church. And I thought about the Book of Mormon, which I have read many times. And the truth is 
you can't find anything of the temple in the Book of Mormon. Where are there baptisms for the dead in the Book of Mormon? They're, they're not mentioned. Where is the washing and anointing, which absolutely freaked Gracie out? It's not there. Where is the endowment session and fig leaf aprons? And where is the veil? Where is sealing power? And where are temple marriages? There's nothing of the temple in the Book of Mormon. And yet, the Mormon claims that the Book of Mormon brings us closer to God and the temple brings us closest to God. And yet, they're not even similar. I, I found another part of the Nelson speech that kind of floored me. He talked about that we are and have always been commanded to build temples. Indeed, whenever the Lord has had a people on the earth who will obey his word, they have been commanded to build temples. And he gave us a promise that in those temples we would be more safe than any other place. I promise you that over time, the temple will become a place of safety, solace, and revelation. If we open our Bibles to the book of Hebrews, we see some interesting things. We see that the Aaronic priesthood, the priesthood that existed from the time that they created the tabernacle when Moses was in the wilderness and Aaron became the first high priest until the Jerusalem temple, which was destroyed in 70 AD, we see that they had a priesthood. They had the Aaronic priesthood. This was the priesthood of Aaron, and it only went to certain people. And yet we see that the Mormon church has perverted that, and they give that Aaronic priesthood to every boy starting at age 11. It used to be 12, now it's 11, I guess. We see high priests. Now there was only one high priest at a time. The first was Aaron, and when he died, another high priest stepped in to take his place. And when he died, another high priest. And so it was one high priest at a time. But we see in the Mormon church many high priests. I was a Mormon high priest. But most importantly, we see that with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, a new and better covenant was enacted. And that old priesthood was done away, and the only priesthood that existed after that was contained or held by our single and our only high priest, the final high priest, which is Jesus Christ. There are no other high priests. And so when I thought that I was a high priest. After the order of Melchizedek, I literally reached up to God and pulled down his light and his glory and his goodness and his faithfulness, and I tried to put it on me, and it was blasphemy. With this new and better covenant, the old priesthood was done away. With this new and better covenant, Jesus was our only high priest. With this new and better covenant, the priesthood existed in Jesus and Jesus alone. But here's the amazing thing. From the first tabernacle that was built until the new and better covenant was enacted, the temple was used to be a type or a sign, a, a figure of what was to come. And it was that Jesus would be in his temple, which is in heaven, so says the book of Hebrews. And after that new and better covenant was enacted, Jesus promised us that he will never again be found in a temple made with hands. Hebrews 9.24 
For Christ has not entered the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. You see, Jesus is in heaven with God, and he is uh, our, our advocate with the Father, that we as sinful wretches can find acceptance and forgiveness with God. Now here's the crazy thing. Russell Nelson talked of the people finding the power of Christ in their temples. But here's my question to you. How could they find that if Jesus wasn't there and he said he would not be there? Turn with me to Colossians chapter 2, verse 14. And no wonder, it says, and no wonder, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. Verse 15. It is not surprising, then, that his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. That's what I was looking at as I watched Russell Nelson. He's a servant of Satan masquerading as a minister of righteousness. But here's the key. When I went to the temple as a member of the Church of Jesus Christ, I worked really hard to fill things, and it was tough. But I, at times believed that I had actually felt something, some power. And so if Jesus isn't there, and he said he won't be, so if we believe Jesus and, and, and can know that he will not be found in the Mormon temples and you feel some kind of power, I would ask you what power did you feel? There is only one other power besides God, and it is the power of Satan. Did you feel Satan masquerading as an angel of light? Did you respond to his workmen, these temple workers, etc., masquerading as servants of righteousness? From that time forward, temple ordinances were gradually refined. President Harold B. Lee explained why procedures policies, and even the administration of temple ordinances continue to change within the Savior's restored church. We seek guidance regularly on how to ensure worldwide accuracy and consistency of temple instruction, covenants, and ordinances, despite differences in language and culture. He is the one who wants you to experience fully His sacred ordinances. He is providing opportunities for each of us to bolster our spiritual foundations more effectively by centering our lives on Him and on the ordinances and covenants of His temple. And to each of you who has made temple covenants, I plead with you to seek prayerfully and consistently to understand temple covenants and ordinances. As you can see, President Nelson really likes to talk about ordinances. And ordinances also were something that pointed to the Savior, the, the, the ordinance of the sacrificial animal pointed to Jesus, who was the only pure lamb, the only one who could pay for our sins. These ordinances 
pointed forward to something better to come. And it's amazing because now, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so as to create in himself a new man. You see, God doesn't want us to be people who are focused on these ordinances. God doesn't want us focusing on these things. He wants us to turn away from our sinful nature and focus our eyes on Jesus Christ and believe in Him. Spiritual doors will open. You will learn how to part the veil between heaven and earth. This is one of the greatest heresies of this whole speech. You see, at the death of Jesus, He, God, parted the veil from top to bottom. The Bible tells us that the new veil is the flesh of Jesus which was broken and, and, and beaten and sacrificed for us. And that through that new veil, through the flesh that saves us, we can approach God with confidence. Oh, no. I reject this absolutely. You see, God ripped the veil from top to bottom, tore it in two. And the Mormons got busy with their sewing machines and they sewed new veils and they hung them in Mormon temples around the world. They, they manufactured veils by the hundreds and rehung what God tore down. No. I say, no. This is my God and you don't get to do this. Now, President Nelson was very clear about the temple being the foundation, the, the, the place where the LDS faith is built and strengthened. Let's look at Jesus and what he said. If we turn to Matthew, we read these words. When Jesus came into the coasts of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I am? And they said, Some say thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But who say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom. Now I want to look at a, a couple of important parts in this. First of all, we have to have context in order to understand it. The question is, Peter well, actually the disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And as a Mormon, I had been taught many times that the answer, the, the, the key to this passage is personal revelation. 
they say that it's it's revelation that you get from God. You pray and you feel something and you get a burning in your bosom and you call it truth. And that's that's what they say that flesh and blood has not shown you this, but my father, which is heaven. So they say the key here is personal revelation. But stop and think, what was the question? Who do you say that I am? So this is not the answer. And then he said, And I say unto thee that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And so the LDS church teaches, Well, Peter, they actually joined the Catholics in this. Well, Peter, Peter is the rock, and upon Peter will we build this church. That's nuts. Because what was the question? The question was, who do you say that I am? And so when Peter finally got the right answer, thou art the Christ, then Jesus said, right. And upon this rock will I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus is the only thing that we can build our faith on. We cannot build our faith on a house made by hands where Jesus will never be. We cannot allow ourselves to believe such nonsense. And these workers of Satan who appear as ministers of righteousness would lead you to spend a lifetime believing this and then spend an eternity burning in hell. For God said, Wide is the gate that leads to destruction. Matthew 7. Wide is the gate that leads to destruction, and many there are that find it, but narrow. Narrow is the gate that leads to life, and few there are that find it. The Mormon people are numbered among the many. So, my dear friends, I, I think again about my view out the window of those aircraft, the first view glorious magnificent the beauty and the order and the wonder of god stretched out before me is just spread out yeah and it filled my heart with awe and wonder and gratitude for this god and it made me believe stronger than i believed when i boarded that aircraft and when i looked down into pocatello and i saw that little tiny white building that is the Mormon temple. And I saw the insignificance of it compared to the glory of God. And then I read this, this talk of President Russell Nelson and listened as he tried to stuff God who cannot even be contained in the universe. He is bigger than all of it into that tiny little house. I thought, what a tragedy that anyone would make Jesus so small. Hey, I'm Lance, and uh, I'll see you next time.